Let me tell you something. Over the years, they've dropped like flies in every fucking hotel in the city. We're still here. We've never held a day job in our lives. It was an easy target, but you added up, you'll see Frank's done fine. Yeah, Frank's done great. He's uh, got the wife, the kids, the little house in the suburbs. Meanwhile, his brother's sitting in a shitty apartment with a sick dog, little orphan Annie, and a chip on his shoulder about as big as a Cadillac. Listen to me, princess. We fucked twice. That's it. Once the sweat dries, you still don't know shit about me. Got it? I know one thing. While Frank Baker was home putting his kids to sleep last night, little brother Jack was out dusting his dreams for a few minutes. I was there. I saw it in your face. You're full of shit. Every time you walk into some shitty daiquiri hut, you're selling yourself on the cheap. I, I know all about that. I'd find myself at the end of the night with some creep and tell myself it didn't matter. And you kid yourself that you got this empty place inside where you can put it all. But you do it long enough and all you are is empty. You didn't know horrors were so philosophical. At least my brother's not my pimp. You know, I had you pegged for a loser the first time I saw you, but I was wrong. You're worse. You're a coward. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? My fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 109, The Fabulous Baker Boys. Big uh, fan favorite here. A lot of listeners, I'm sure, into this one. <laughs> this isn't exactly a Criterion Club, but sometimes we like to... It fits the bill. ...reach out and grab a little more of an obscure a movie. A Twilight Time release. Yeah. I mean, this movie was nominated for four Oscars, by the way. It's not oh, wow, some yeah. obscure It feels thing. like it, though, to me. I don't know. This is now our second Steve Cloves movie. True. I mean, he did only write Wonder Boys. Yeah, uh, okay. I didn't but know he wrote and directed Fabulous Baker Boys. All right. You know him. They, they have a the, very similar feel, kind of. Certainly. It's a throwback to another time, really. Yeah. I feel like in both movies, the city in which it takes place, very much a part of it. Definitely. The sad side of people trying to pursue their dreams. Yeah, the subtext of the movies is just don't, because you're just (laughs) embarrassing yourself. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so as always, follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. We really appreciate all of our listeners out there really keeping us going. Yes, we are aware at how obscenely long the Gun Girl episode was. So thanks for listening, because we know you did. (laughs) Hopefully, there won't be that many at that length it was something that i wanted to do at least once just to do it <laughs> okay check it off the list okay so yes a lot of you may not have seen the fabulous baker boys or possibly not even heard of it 
but it's a movie starring Jeff and Bo Bridges and so Michelle there you Pfeiffer. Go. What more do you need? You got Jeff Bridges and Michelle Pfeiffer, 1989. I don't know what else you could That's possibly true. want. Dynamite combination. And then you get a little bonus with Bo Bridges in the mix. <laughs> Pfeiffer is off the charts attractive in this movie. Yeah, she is just a fucking bombshell. <laughs> I think Roger Ebert had a famous quote about this movie, something to the effect of when years from now, when we look back and trace how Michelle Pfeiffer became a movie star, this will be one of the films that we cite or whatever. I mean, this is like a star-making performance for her. I mean, she had obviously been in things Do before this. Do you feel like this, that's but happening now? People no. looking back at that. <laughs> <laughs> Some people. Yeah. People who know about movies who I think that we should be at this right. point. Maybe not our listeners. Yeah, but. well, now I can say that, now that I've watched <laughs> Fabulous Baker Boys all the way through. She was nominated for an Oscar for this performance. I think it's well-deserved. She's unbelievable in it. She sings sings incredibly well, and it's oh, actually her. Yeah, those are some of the most fun sequences. So... The Fabulous Baker Boys tells the story of two brothers, Jack and Frank Baker, played by Jeff and Bo Bridges, respectively, carving out a living as lounge jazz pianists in Seattle at the tail end of the 1980s. Barely carving out a living, it seems. Yeah. Their act, called the Fabulous Baker Boys, consists of them playing intricate jazz and pop-flavored duets on matching grand pianos. And it is definitely kind of a sad moment because, I mean, imagine being on the fringes of show business, not even in New York and L.A., but a city, a, you know, a smaller, right. second-tier city like Seattle. It's hard. In the beginning of the movie, it's hard to even imagine this existing now. Like, that there's enough bars and stuff that would, pl- oh, that definitely would pay not. them to play. Yeah. Definitely not. Right. <laughs> yeah, this was certainly a last gasp for this kind of entertainment really especially in a smaller city like seattle i mean you could probably still find people like this in new york and la maybe like really big places chicago yeah but yeah the film was a modest hit theatrically and it grew into a bit of a cult hit upon its initial vhs release but as evidenced by our discussion already it's kind of faded from public consciousness a little bit just a quiet character study for adults the type of film that rarely gets made today that's true i can't really imagine movies like this existing anymore. no it is true and i was watching this thinking about this because also over this past weekend i watched brian de palma's blowout speaking of criterions Mm -hmm. and that takes place in philadelphia it's so philadelphia centric it just feels like these on location movies in these cities and i don't know it just doesn't feel like movies are really being made like that anymore where the setting just feels like such a part of it yeah it's certainly part of a style that doesn't really get made nearly as much i think obviously every year there's probably a few oh yeah right it's not like it's like extinct but yeah it used to be though every week you'd get a couple of r-rated movies that weren't like crazy raunchy comedies or super violent movies or right, something yeah. like it would just be adult movies for adults the kids wouldn't even be interested in seeing them because no, no, no. there's nothing or even interested, but not allowed <laughs> no i mean there's there'd be nothing right. really no, why would relatable? a kid want to see the fabulous baker boys <laughs> it's I mean, not there's very not inspiring really, yeah there's not really anything in it for them i could imagine like a young matt being interested in michelle pfeiffer oh yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> I would say Batman Returns for me oh, yeah. was an awakening. For sure. <laughs> that outfit. I mean, I was only like nine when that movie came out or something. It's like, good lord. But it was certainly something for me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> I would say its effect still lingering in right. my life. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought that leather? As I was going to say, this movie is noteworthy in that it marks the first time that the Bridges Brothers acted together in a film. Wow. That and is noteworthy. Kind of going all in on this one. Because yeah. it's kind of a big brothers moment in this movie, really. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't know. A lot know. of tension it, building it up. Seems like a little slice of life here, or a little art imitating life a little bit, with Bo just being kind of the <laughs> lesser schlubby bridges. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some rough moments for poor Bo yeah. in this one. Four Academy Award nominations, Best Actress, Michelle Pfeiffer, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, and Best Original Score. All right. You know, it does have like a cool jazzy score to it. Yeah. There's probably 20, 30, 50, 100 movies like this, though, that were well-reviewed, got nominated for stuff, even made a little bit of money, but have kind of Erased faded. from history. Yeah. yeah. And... I've had this discussion with people before. It's like, yes, there are a ton of movies on Blu-ray. And yes, there are even more that made it to DVD. But there are a lot of things, a lot of quality things that have never even been released on DVD, let alone Blu-ray. And obviously, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, they're not carrying everything. And eventually, movies some of these are things... are going to disappear altogether. It's a fear yeah. that some people have. There's certain movies that just aren't going to really be readily available at a certain point. That's true. I don't know. I mean, a lot of stuff has gone out of print. Most people don't have VCRs to play VHS tapes. So, I mean, there's tons of movies out there that aren't necessarily just garbage that will kind of just be forgotten about over time, probably. That's true. We need to write some letters or something. <laughs> But Maybe thankfully, Fabulous Baker Boys isn't one of them. Movies that we could save, fill up like a notebook. <laughs> Someone's got to remember them. Yeah, just writing words down in a notebook. Yeah. That'll save them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one of the most important aspects of this movie is the vibe of the film. And I would say that the Fabulous Baker Boys is a take on the modern noir playing out on the rain-slick, lonely, late-night streets of Seattle shot beautifully, and usually all but deserted in the wee hours of the morning. There's never really anyone well, that's around. What, it seems like they're just always playing shows at like some fucking bar on like a Tuesday night, maybe two people at the bar having a drink, like not even there for the show. And then like also the time periods after that. So they're like leaving a show with zero tickets sold and then like, hanging out in the streets afterwards yeah the streets are kind of purposefully abandoned to kind of give it this unique kind of look and feel and people definitely think of noir movies as having to have like a crime element and all these different things but that's not necessarily true of how the word originated and this kind of hits the same beats the characters the setting the feel of it yeah and it kind of feels like a loving Valentine laced with nostalgia for the 40s and possibly into the 50s, all told through the perspective of the late 80s, which is seemingly the last time on earth you could find clubs and lounges and hotel bars that look like the ones found in this film. 
And these places, their aesthetic, their feel, as well as the characters that populate them, spark a certain nostalgia within me for a time I can only (laughs) vaguely relate to. One found on the fringes of only my most faded memories, those dying days of the 80s and everything that came with them. I can vaguely... Okay, for example, the place that Jack goes to play real jazz, quote-unquote. Right, right, yeah. He has to go down those steps into that club. Yeah. It looks like it's something out of, like... I have no memories of being at a place like that. (laughs) It's not that I was hanging out at places like that when I was four years old, but... (laughs) It's just cool, like though. there were places like that that existed that were left over from another time that were yeah. still existing into the 80s. But I would say by now, 2018, those places are gone. Yeah. They're all redone, remodeled. They don't look like that. And I don't know. It just There's a certain look to it. It's like it, it's reminiscent of like Bull Durham and a couple of other movies like that that are in the 80s. It's That's just like true, places yeah. look a certain way. Yeah. And it. Places that were, I think what I'm trying to say is places that were old by the 80s, meaning right. they weren't of the 80s, they were old in the 80s, but they still existed, and those places are long gone now, oh, yeah. because they're replaced or torn down or whatever, and I just like that kind of nostalgic feel of a movie that's 30 years old. Right. <laughs> it's kind of a <laughs> unique thing. I mean, I, I have a relatability to some of the scenes going on in these bars, just that whole vibe of like... Being I'm a, in, a I'm a loser. City, yeah, exactly. Like being in a city of just like this desolate bar at like whatever time at night during the week, no one around. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I enjoy that vibe. Yeah, but I'm certainly pretty more sure... so than when people. I, I like that way more than when people are in the bar. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Michelle Pfeiffer wasn't flittering around on the edges, though. Well, no, but maybe the character that she was playing, you know, <laughs> the call girl. <laughs> How many fucking call girls? Look like Michelle Pfeiffer. In Seattle? I'm going to say zero. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) In her essay included with the Twilight Time Blu-ray release, Julie Kurgo states, The Fabulous Baker Boys is a film nuts, fever dream, a lush... I mean, how popular would that call girl service be? I mean, their phone would never stop ringing. (laughs) All right. The Fabulous Baker Boys is a film nuts, fever dream, a lush evocation of a long-lost cinematic fantasy land. You don't need to be steeped in old movies to enjoy the film, but man, does it help. It's a callback to things like the film noirs of the 40s and 50s, the Humphrey Bogarts, the trench coats, the fedoras, the cool, long-legged blondes that turn out to be the villain or whatever. You know, oh, yeah. it's, it's this tribute, but it's done through this kind of odd brother story about a jazz music. It's kind of a crazy combination of a bunch of different things, and to think that Steve Cloves was like 28 Crafting or something. This, yeah, I know. I don't know. He was in his like 20s when he directed this. It's crazy. Yeah, it is weird. And it's like a, he does this and then I feel like a decade plus later he does Wonder Boys or whatever. And it's like, I mean, and again, you know, he didn't direct Wonder Boys, but whatever. Writes it, involved with the project. And it's just like, I don't know. At some point he was just like, what the fuck, man? I should just adapt these Harry Potter movies and make way more money than messing around with this shit that he's mostly like, known for adaptations i mean wonder boys is an adaptation i know but it just feels more he only wrote and directed wonder boys two movies. is way more this speed than <laughs> than adapting the harry yeah, potter movies definitely okay so we've chatted a fair amount let's jump into the movie itself Oh, okay yeah this is just a wild stab frank there's something bothering you leave her alone 
I mean it. Jack, this isn't some hat check girl you can leave behind at the Sheraton. You've got two shows a night with her. You don't know what you're talking about. I know trouble, and its name starts with an S. Do me a favor, Frank. Relax. You do me a favor, little brother. Stick to cocktail waitresses. It opens with Jack, played by Jeff Bridges, with a woman. And it seems like they've spent all day in bed, I guess, or something. It does kind of grab you a little bit because it's like they're just He's on his way up. out, right. but it's dusk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a cool decadence. You know, you're kind of just like, man, this is cool. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> He's just like f- anonymously fucking some chick, spends all day with her, basically in bed because they were probably out all night. Well, he definitely like thinks that his lifestyle is cool, too. <laughs> I mean- yeah, but who doesn't? Who wouldn't think that that's I, cool? I know, I agree. Although, I will say, I was thinking this, especially like leading into the close to the end of the movie when he's like back in the diner. And I'm just like, I watch a lot of Mad Men. This always happens in movies, I feel like, where it's just like, are cocktail waitresses and diner waitresses really that easy? I mean, it's like <laughs> <laughs> like the go-to pickup in every like movie and show. I don't know. I guess some of them I were. mean, I, well, yeah, for Jeff Bridges, I'm sure. <laughs> or Don Draper. Yeah, this is kind of like that weird middle period of Jeff Bridges' career where he wasn't like this awkward youth anymore and he didn't turn into this like old Tubby. guy that you can't really <laughs> understand. Right. And he was kind of a borderline sex symbol in this movie. Yeah. I don't know. It's just he's heading out into the evening to a gig in this magic hour between the light and the dark, like at dusk, and he's just putting on a tux, and there's a certain swagger hearkening back to another era, and this chick is just kind of like, am I going to see you again? And he's just like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And there's that slow, cool jazz music on the soundtrack, and it pulls out of the unassuming second-story apartment, and it settles on a a perfect exterior shot, tight on the side of the building. On the right, through the window, we can see the woman... That Jack just departed. She's dressing. On the left is like this neon sign for Captain's Vine Street Landing or something like that. That's on the left. I mean, it's an interesting, weird shot. It's just cool. Oh, and then sure. it kind of it's it hangs there for a minute and then it pans down slowly as Jack is coming outside and walking into the street wearing the tux. And we're basically just a minute into the movie, and this tells us everything we need to know about the feel of this movie. Right. And it's like, yes, I'm all in. This is perfect. Absolutely. <laughs> but then it even takes it up a notch once you get this whole like brother dynamic because you're just like, oh boy. Matt. <laughs> it's awkward <laughs> as fuck. <laughs> like, oh man. I just look at Frank and it's like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's like looking in a mirror. A. Well, Bo, as Frank, it's really a thankless role. I mean, he's the stick in the mud. He can't be fun. He can't be exciting. His whole, like, blow up about this at the end is kind of great. He's booking all these gigs, and it's just so sad because the gigs are just, like, not even worth it. (laughs) And he's, like, fighting for them. And it's, like, talked about how he's, like, the responsible one and, like, the manager. (laughs) But he also tries to be, like, kind of the host during their shows, which is also, like, not great. Let's start, though, with... Jack showing up for this gig and they're kind of backstage and Frank has a little bit of a bald spot and he wants Jack to use this like 
spray. No, it literally looks like spray paint. Yeah, it's basic, and that's what Jack keeps calling it. He's like, it's a can of paint. Right. It's kind of this weird moment of vanity for Frank, though, because it's funny and it makes him look like kind of a sad sack. But at the same time, it's like he's caring about his appearance, which kind of is kind of up against everything else with his character. Yeah. Because he's such a loser in a lot but of he ways. But he's like, look the part, be the part. He's very like, we need to wear these suits and, you know, have our shoes our shoes shined and everything. Like Right. Yeah. I mean, he's... He has a very like set idea of what they're doing and how to be professional. Right. Where, you know, the, lo- if you're the, Jack, you're just like, who are we modeling our careers after? <laughs> like, who are we trying to become? People from another era. Seriously, really. yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the big tension of the movie is that Jack is more of a real musician and wants to be a real musician. So Frank and and Jack have this set act and frank is really hung up on this banter this forced banter between songs <laughs> Jack and it's, having no part of it it's chilling sometimes right. how awkward it is it's so bad and you just cringe so much but frank has an idea of what works and it has worked for 15 years of them being professional together and it will get them so far it will get them a certain amount of gigs yeah. for a certain amount of money and that's what he's counting on and that's what he's doing and there's not going to be any deviation from this because why risk it yeah because as we'll learn frank is the one with responsibility which is why this role is the thankless part of the two i mean he's got a wife and and kids and a house in suburbia he's got to be responsible whereas jack has nothing really so he can do whatever he wants kind of what we find out is this is actually a stillwater situation (laughs) <laughs> Jack is actually like a stud piano player and seemingly like more of a creative artist potentially, even though he doesn't necessarily pursue it. But it's there's like more to him being a player and he doesn't want to play this same old shit all the time. Right. But part of it is, and I can kind of relate to this aspect of it, he doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't want to be responsible for anything. And he kind right, of allows so this, himself into this thing with Frank because Frank takes care of everything. Yeah, the arrangement works. Yeah, he gets his money and it allows him to live this carefree and, like, lifestyle. Do nothing, yeah, just like bang cocktail waitresses and like sleep till fucking 5 p.m. every day. Yeah, it's a pretty legendary decision. But yeah. it's kind of a, and we'll get to this more when Michelle Pfeiffer gets in the mix, but the ages of the characters is kind of interesting to me. Or at least the actors playing them. I mean, they kind of allude to Jack and Frank being like four years apart. But in reality, Bo and Jeff were like closer to a decade apart, which actually is more interesting to me. And we'll get to that. Okay, so from their interactions before hitting the stage and then from this first performance we see, you understand immediately who these two brothers are, what is happening, what their relationship is like. And what this arrangement must be like. And you can ascertain a fair amount about each of them. We find out 15 years together as professionals, but 31 total playing together. Frank mentions that a couple of times. That's one of his go-to <laughs> yeah, lines. His, his, we band. must have shaved three years off that cat Cecil. It's just like, oh, God. <laughs> his jokes are so cringy. Yeah, right. It's almost worse that like that one old lady laughs. That actually makes it seem worse. Oh, I know. It, it would have been better if no one well, laughed. Well, those scenes are well put together, but it is just like he's he's doing his little banter and, and saying these things and making jokes like that, and it's just like 
you expect the camera to like pan over to the crowd and someone's just throwing themselves out a window. <laughs> we get the impression from their interaction post set with the club manager that the demand for the duo may be dwindling a bit. Yeah. And there is a sad desperation on the part of Frank oh, in that yeah. interaction where you're just like, oh, God. Oh, God. Right. <laughs> but later at Jack's apartment, we find out he lives alone aside from an old black lab named Eddie. And he has this little neighbor chick. Yeah, this friend. <laughs> I don't know if I would even say that. Right. She's just a little girl who lives upstairs that she comes down through a window. Her name's Nina. And I was just like, this whole like weird friendship could never happen today yeah it's never just be like well there's a 40 year old guy who lives by himself and he's friends with like a 10 year old girl it certainly feels innocent within the context of the movie but well definitely right but it's yeah but it is completely inappropriate (laughs) yeah it's not even as like semi-questionable as like natalie portman and beautiful girls or yeah it's more even like he just kind of lets her hang out there. Right. He's more of like a father figure to her. I don't even want to give people who haven't seen the movie the impression that's anything even remotely. No, no. Yeah. But I'm just saying that even just introducing this character, you're just like, really? The point is like her mom is really checked out. She has like a bunch of different boyfriends. This kid just kind of comes down to get away from that bullshit. And she walks Jack's dog for him and all this stuff. But I mean, really? <laughs> yeah. You know, you're going to... Maybe I, I'm sure that stuff like this could happen in days gone by, but definitely would not be happening. Well, in 2018. I'm more interested in like what's going on with her mom. <laughs> I mean, her mom's like thirsty AF or something because her mom's like a slut. Yeah, she's like always <laughs> having to come downstairs because she's like, yeah, you know, this dude came over again. So mm-hmm. and it's just like, all right. So the next gig, even sadder than the last, it's at this Hawaiian themed place. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a blender and TVs blasting, and literally no one cares that they're on stage. Right. <laughs> and then this manager doesn't even want them to show up for the next night to fulfill their two night like, engagement. Right. They're so they're basically going to be paid now to not play. Yeah, yeah. And they're headed towards sad. crisis time. That's kind of like where we're headed with our show business careers. <laughs> People are paying us <laughs> to stop to doing stop this, releasing episodes. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, you know what? That two hour and 15 minute episode, that was, you crossed the line. Yeah, here you go. Here's $7 each. $7. All right, so kind of in light of this disastrous gig, it's kind of a moment to examine the relationship between the two. We've kind of hit on these things a little bit, but just to spell it out, Frank handles the entirety of the business aspect of the group, taking for himself a bigger cut. He is a wife to whom he is happily married. And I will say that before I'd ever seen this movie, I kind of thought they both fell in love with Michelle Pfeiffer, and that's what this was about. But that's not even remotely an issue in this at all. He's happily married, and that just stays like that. There's no issue. He has two kids and a house. Simply put, he has responsibilities. Jack, on the other hand, as we've said, is single and carefree. He's a womanizer with no roots. No close companions outside of his dog and this lonely little girl. Yeah. It he- seems awesome, <laughs> but I feel like you need a key ingredient to pull that life off. Be attractive. Be charming. <laughs> like, Frank couldn't live this life. Yeah, looks do play a part in it, but it's also kind of just this certain personality. And f- and Frank definitely doesn't have the personality. I agree, but I feel like if Frank had that personality, 
I don't think he's maybe he isn't getting as many women, but right. There's just certain people that would be happier doing it one way versus another, and Frank is clearly like the getting, kind that wants it the way he has it. Yeah, but getting the women kind of makes it feel like worth it to keep pursuing that life. I don't know, because I would say that Jack is clearly bored and unsatisfied, not only with the music that he plays with his brother, but also with this life he's living. It's kind of getting... I think part of it is it's getting old. Yeah, and you kind of just feel empty and you're not getting any joy out of it at a certain point. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of hit the wall at a certain point. His relationship with Frank is a trade-off because... Jack may be the more talented of the two, which is kind of spelled out for us right. a couple of times, but Frank is willing to do all the things that Jack doesn't want to bother with, which in turn allows him to keep living a comfortable and responsibility-free life. I mean, he doesn't really have to do anything other than show up and play piano, and he can have this apartment, he can get these women, he can have food, and he can get drunk and just do whatever. Like, he has money. Not, he's not rich, cigarettes. but he's comfortable. He can just, yeah. he's not wanting for anything. And all he has to do is wake up at 5 p.m. or 7 p.m. and show up. And, and he says in the beginning of the movie, he's like, I have a great job. <laughs> <laughs> but Frank throws out the idea of adding a singer to freshen up the act. He says two pianos isn't enough anymore, Jack. And Jack says it never was. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like someone tells me okay yeah we have tickets <laughs> tickets i don't know if you have to buy tickets well for this. what if it's like one of the things like at one of those dinners at a hotel <laughs> i think I it's know. just supposed to bring in people i don't know if you have to actually buy t- <laughs> do you think people are buying tickets to that hawaiian place what if, well yeah but what, <laughs> you couldn't even he, you couldn't even what hear about them? the new year's eve things that they've played over the years at like hotels well, the, and well stuff. those are like resorts and stuff i mean yeah. it's all inclusive okay <laughs> Either way, someone's like, so we're going to this show. I'm on an all-inclusive vacation, uh-huh. and a part of it is we're going to this dinner where there's, there's going to be- in-dinner entertainment. Yeah, and there's going to be this act playing there, and I'm just like, I don't really understand what the act is. It's two guys playing piano. One is kind of telling jokes slash kind of singing at parts, too. Like It's really <laughs> unclear like what even the act is. It's just piano. It's just it's jazz just piano. A, just two guys playing piano. Yeah, it's more like- in those kind of places, it's more you can still kind of have a quiet conversation. It's in yeah. the background. You can enjoy your cigarettes and your booze and maybe right. your food if it's a restaurant or whatever. But you don't necessarily have to sit there and stare at it and pay super Thank close God. attention. Yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> so God. There's not a lot going on. But, oh, but once you get Michelle Pfeiffer in the mix. Oh, yeah. That's totally That's a show different. now. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm in. 15 years, no one's paid us off. He made the deal. There's no shame in it. We gotta talk. Talk. I've been thinking maybe we should make some changes. I've been thinking maybe we should take on a singer. It's just an idea. I want your opinion. And then we go halfway in everything, right? I wouldn't say exactly halfway, would you? Well, we agreed if I took care of the business, I'd be entitled to a little extra. Isn't that what we agreed? That's what we agreed. If you're unhappy with the arrangement, I'm I'd, not you know, unhappy. I mean, if you want to assume more of the financial responsibilities, I'd be glad hey, to Frank, do it. How much for the singer? I thought maybe 20%. I figure with the additional bookings, we'll come out again. What? Two pianos isn't enough anymore, Jack. Never was. 
they have this montage of female singers trying out, and we were talking about this a little bit, and I was saying that I was reading some things that were pointing out that this is a trope now that's done to death, like the montage of bad singers. Oh, right, yeah. You see it in Pitch Perfect. The bad tryouts, yeah. You even see it on like American, American Idol. Idol. It's, it's a very played out thing. It, sometimes it's still funny. The person I was reading said they had never seen it before this film, but they didn't know that it, whether or not it was created for this film. I doubt it was. I'm sure it popped up somewhere along the way, but this was certainly a fresher idea in 89 than it is in 2018. Wow, yeah. Yeah, this is pre-American think... Idol. Right. I mean, well, yeah. Cutting between bad auditions of something that probably wasn't something done a lot before the modern age. Yeah, it just but... wasn't applicable. No, I know, but I was thinking of even not necessarily like singing, just like bad whatever like bad tryouts for anything in general I, I don't know that just seems like it's something that existed forever that edit that montage yeah i mean it, there probably was but yeah but I, I could be i mean i was born in 87 who knows watching this <laughs> now know. your reference point is different because you've seen so many things but i think in 89 this kind of scene was something that was kind of new and different yeah um here's the instructions all right he knows it really isn't that a coincidence? Small world. Well, shall we? first singer is Jennifer Tilly as Monica Moran, a.k.a. Blanche, which is kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> she, her fake name is Monica Moran, but then she's like, my real name is Blanche. You're just like, what? Yeah. Because Blanche seems like a crazier name to me right. than Monica. You're just like, okay. And she's, you know, a baby-voiced sex bomb who can't sing at all. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. And... The boys end up watching like 37 different girls in total. They're all disasters. Yeah, you're just like, okay, we shouldn't have even. 
this was a bad idea. And then in walks Susie Diamond, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. And it's just like, good night. Here's a fucking movie star. Yep. It's just like, what do you want to do in the band? Like, you don't have to sing. I mean, whatever you want, you're in. I think originally they were going to give the singer 20%. It's like, now it's like 90%. (laughs) They're just like pushing money. Although, to be fair, Frank is like not having it. He's like, you're late. It's too late. Forget it. (laughs) He's not moved by her looks at all. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Frank's deal is sometimes. I think he's just he, a stick in the mud. It's like right away, I just feel like he could see where this was going. He was like, this is a bad idea. Especially when she says that she was an escort. <laughs> and she's late. She's cocky. She's dismissive of them. But in the end, is perfect. She kills it. She sings more than you know with Jack playing along. It's really Michelle Pfeiffer singing. It's this sultry, breathy voice. It's really fairly erotic. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's a lot to take in. Name? Susie. Susie Diamond. Catchy. You have any previous experience as a singer, Miss Diamond? No. Any entertainment experience at all? Well, for the last couple of years, I've been on call for the AAA escort service. What would you like to share with us today, Miss Diamond? More than you know. Real slow, okay? performances in this again this is just something that's like this whole kind of music i'm like into but it's really not on my radar you know what i mean like right but i dig all the scenes where they're playing this piano jazz music and she's like singing like these kind of like softer songs yeah they're like old jazz standards but there's a few like kind of i love the ballady type songs when she's doing like i love you baby and stuff like yeah it actually feels like a rocker a little bit, like they're actually jamming out. Because <laughs> the rest of them are like real slow. So Susie brings the charisma of a genuine star to this little trio. I will point out that some other people that were in consideration or that they were looking at or whatever were Madonna, Deborah Shocker. Winger, 
Brooke Shields, Jodie Foster, Jennifer Jason Lee. I don't know. They settled on Michelle Pfeiffer, and it's perfect. She's a great singer, and she looks the part. Yeah. I could see some of those other women, but there's just something about Michelle Pfeiffer that works perfectly in this setting. She's kind of got that, I don't know, there's just that right attitude to like tango Yeah, with she carries the herself boys. well, I feel like, too. Like She plays that kind of confident mess well. Where you can believe that she's both disinterested and headstrong and independent and all that stuff but then at the same time you know whenever yeah things change right and then she's opening up and then there's genuine hurt there too so the first gig with Susie happens you know there's a little bit of hoopla over her dress and frank is once again you know a stick in the mud and this is weird i feel he wants to get her a different dress freaking out about what she's wearing (laughs) he has a very specific vision of what should be going on right and it's just like i mean actually this part as much as frank reminds me of myself at many parts throughout the movie (laughs) the one thing that reminded me of you is just like him being like married to like the set list in the show and like (laughs) the fact that he finds out that they didn't do one song from his show like (laughs) he just can't fucking take it i think it's pretty clear even this early on when Susie joins the trio that where this is going to be headed with Frank. Like, yeah. there's just a butting of heads that's inevitable. And I think to a certain extent, Jack is just willing to go along for the ride, but he kind of finds an ally in Susie over time. So they resist what Frank wants to do. And before they introduce Susie, it's like Frank with the fucking cringe city jokes still. And then Susie comes out, and it's a comical near disaster moment. She can't get the mic to work, and then she's just fucking into the microphone really loud, yeah. which Frank has like a heart attack about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Jack has just these subtle reactions over at his piano the whole time, which are kind well, of funny. Think, yeah, he's, he's just kind of smiling. Yeah, he's enjoying the fact that it's like going off script a little bit. Yeah, but once she starts singing, though, everything just clicks, and we get another montage now of the trio finding unexpected success. The fabulous Baker Boys and the sensational Susie Diamond. She's made her way onto their poster. It's becoming a thing. All of a sudden, we're circling. They're playing shows with like people there. Yeah, we're circling back to that first club manager from the beginning. And when we saw him before, he was hesitant about booking them for future dates. And now the tables have turned. And he wants to book them. And they're like, we'll call you. Like right. they've. It's happened that quickly that... Just adding Susie to the mix has kind of changed the fate of the Baker Boys. It's like, why didn't we think about adding a vocalist 15 years ago? This guy is kind of a trip, though, this club manager, because he says, like, I have some advice for your lady or whatever. Tell her the smaller the dress, the bigger the crowds or whatever. And this is the (laughs) same guy that says the N-word at the very beginning of the movie. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, you're just like, Jesus, this dude. (laughs) I don't even remember the N-word being in it, but yeah, that is nuts. (laughs) I'm looking at this guy and... And the idea of, like, this job existing and having an office this big, like, you know what I mean? (laughs) It was a different time. Right. (laughs) Yeah, all these places are very, like, independent and they're of their own thing. Now it would be, if any place existed, it would be, like, super corporate. It wouldn't be. Agent Cooper and Showgirls. (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah. Agent Cooper. (laughs) Okay, so... Almost from the beginning, we have the sexual tension starting between Jack and Susie. 
she tries to remain aloof. You know, she says, like, oh, don't go soft on me, that kind of thing. She's very, like, hesitant. Oh, yeah. Jack, like, right away. Is yeah, like, I gotta like, try I'm going to try to, <laughs> I'm gonna try to fuck this chick yeah. real quick. I don't give a shit about this group. Right, yeah. Whatever. And it, once, like, he kind of starts trying to break down that wall, it's just a ticking <laughs> yeah. time bomb, you know, <laughs> until everything blows up. I think we mentioned Jack occasionally sneaks off to kind of a quote-unquote legit club to play quote-unquote real jazz music he actually cares about it's very reminiscent of la la land a yeah, little bit some of too, these right. scenes here very like oh i'm the white guy showing up you know in the black club yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like got oh like boy the, but he's got like the respect of his peers in there because <laughs> he can hang you know of course yeah yes i would say that the first time i ever watched this movie i was like what the fuck is the deal with Jack's dog Eddie like they do this whole thing where he has to get teeth pulled there's too much Eddie for me Jack is like worried about it I think the idea here is to show you the fragility of Jack's world I mean he cares so much about this fucking dog I do love when this dog dies (laughs) yeah he goes to the vet in like the middle of the night (laughs) for some reason there's a kid working there right and he's like you know threatening to beat him up basically Yeah, he ends up bringing Eddie home early from getting these teeth pulled or whatever. And it it's Christmas Eve. Nina's there, which is funny because it's like, what the fuck is going on with Nina's mom? <laughs> that Nina is left alone on Christmas Eve to wander down to the 40-year-old neighbor that's yeah, living yeah, below right. them. But he gives Nina booze on Christmas Eve, which I also that's thought was crazy. Move. That is, yeah. that Maybe <laughs> their relationship did kind of get to that inappropriate level at that point. <laughs> She's like... I don't even want to joke. Never mind. (laughs) Move on. It's just like layers of down and out sadness, beautiful losers. It's certainly romanticizing a certain lifestyle, a certain loneliness going on with Jack's world. Reminiscent of our own lives. (laughs) I wish. I wish it was as cool as they make it seem in the movies. (laughs) (laughs) There's no Michelle Pfeiffer's. No, there there is no Michelle Pfeiffer's. The big centerpiece of the movie is this New Year's Eve gig. Well, it, it's more than just New Year's Eve. It, it's a, it's like a week leading up to New Year's and all this stuff. It's an out-of-town, grand, old-style hotel, kind of like a, this destination resort place. And they're going right. to play a in this worth of shows giant or ballroom. Yeah. It, it's a big deal. It's a several-night engagement. It's kind of the defining trip of the movie. A lot at play here. The group dynamics are certainly volatile in this moment. A growing feeling of Susie and Jack uniting against old-fashioned, scared-to-take-risks Frank, coupled with, as you put it, the ticking time bomb of Jack and Susie's feelings for each other, which right. Frank instinctually knows it's will like, destroy the not, group. Yeah, Jack, please, <laughs> just stick to cocktail waitresses. Although, there is that strange moment on this trip where oh, Frank where is balcony, dancing yeah. with Susie on the balcony, but then he's, like, making Jack do it, and then he's right. like, I'm going to go to bed or whatever, and he yeah, just, like, leaves but them. But then he does kind of, like, stop and linger for a minute, which is kind of weird. <laughs> he doesn't and really Jack's know what to do. like, kind of giving him the eyes, like, get out of here, man. <laughs> <laughs> so they have, like, a suite of rooms with a shared bathroom, champagne, quasi-rockstar lifestyle. This is, like, their moment. I mean... Frank and Jack, as we know, were kind of almost kicked out of show business completely. Barely hanging on. And now they've taken on Susie, and and their fortunes are way different. Like into it, it's just like it's a whole new scene. And this is the one thing I guess. Maybe it's I I don't know. Maybe it's just like their own dignity about it. But like, (laughs) 
I, I just feel like they don't fight to keep it together as much as like you would think because it does feel like, oh, they finally made it in this moment and it seems like it's only going to get better from here. But I don't know. It's like the fact that whenever uh, what's her face, uh, Julie Diamond or whatever, Susie Diamond. <laughs> Julie. Yeah, I don't know. Decides that she's going to leave or whatever. It just it ends a lot quicker than I would have thought. I thought Frank would have been like, no, you can't go. Well, what can he do? Yeah. During this trip, there's inevitability at all of these things that happen. You kind of instinctually as a movie viewer, you know, some of these things are going to happen. And one of them obviously is Jack and Susie finally hooking up. But Frank sees what's happening and wants to stop it. But he ends up being called away when his son is involved in a minor accident on his bike, leaving Jack and Susie alone to finish off the engagement. Well, he's like the fucking parent that's trying to stay between two teenagers, a teenage (laughs) couple, you know, like like the chaperone at the dance, right? Just trying to stay awake. And like (laughs) once the parent goes to bed and is out of the picture, it's just like open season. (laughs) Yeah. Once Frank leaves, it's like they both want it. They're circling each other. They know it's going to happen, but neither of them really wants to make the first move. Everything finally kind of comes together on New Year's Eve. They play this show by themselves. They change the setup. Right. They don't play the songs that Susie doesn't want to sing anymore. Yeah. And they do this, (laughs) this version of Making Whoopi, which is just an absurd song. And kind of expression. I mean, it's just so absurd. But what can be said? I mean, it's a star-making performance. Michelle Pfeiffer in a slinky, blood-red dress, writhing around on top of the piano, giving every man in the room a heart attack. It's an absurd, from-another-era song, but it doesn't really matter what she's saying. The words don't even matter. Yeah, yeah. Another bride, another tune, another. Get 
seen a version and i thought maybe this is where it was heading that it ends up being the two of them that go on to success and like kind of frank gets the boot and that's like the sad <laughs> yeah i mean I, that, it's a different movie but right yeah 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 i could see that the crowd watching her in the movie as well as the viewers of the movie itself are all left completely enchanted i mean we're just like holy shit and at midnight <laughs> we're in the presence of a star jack and Susie finally kiss Post-celebration, in the now-deserted ballroom, Susie opens up about her escort past. I mean, she really kind of oh, yeah. starts saying all of these things. and I wouldn't always sleep with them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like, okay. All right. <laughs> Would love to be the guy that paid for that yeah, and yeah. didn't get right. it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an escort. It's technically different, I guess. Yeah. You're not paying for the sex. Right. You know, if the authorities are asking... <laughs> They have like this very classy 80s sex scene. You well, know. yeah, where he's like taking her clothes off in the ballroom. <laughs> it's it's well, very classy. They're very used to being up at all hours. Yeah. It could be like four in the morning well, at this point. Well, it seems lucky, like yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's a certain kind of weirdness, though, because she's opening up and saying all this stuff, and he kind of just doesn't he says really say nothing. anything. Yeah. yeah, he's just kind of like, are we going to do this or what? Right. He's like, honey, you're wearing too many clothes. <laughs> By the next morning, things already feel off. As he tries to slink away. Susie's made herself vulnerable, but Jack, for whatever reason, has remained stoic, noncommittal, mostly silent. He's the same guy we saw abandoning that one-night stand in the opening scene of the film. Nothing has changed. Right, yeah, he's given her that move. And clearly there's some sort of emotional wall that he's not quite ready to take down yet. And so obviously the fabulous Baker Boys and sensational Susie Diamond, that trio is now in jeopardy because of this. Right, yes. So back home, Frank's return to the group. Everything is weird now. Frank still wants to be the leader, as he always was, but Susie and Jack are rebelling even more now. Yeah, yeah. It's all unraveling for Plus, uh, Susie and Jack now have their own bullshit. Because of fucking. Yeah. <laughs> Frank can kind of feel his control over them slipping. It's right. kind of everything's. It's like, God damn it. Everything was going great. And I now know. it's everything's falling My apart. My damn kid have, had to get hurt or whatever happens. I guess Susie's not willing to just be dismissed that easily. She shows up at Jack's apartment. There's oh kind boy. of like an awkward run in yeah. with Nina. And it's kind of like this window into the reality of Jack's life that she's kind of getting all at once. It like, oh, okay. What's the deal with this little girl that <laughs> hangs out at his apartment? <laughs> yeah. She's like, hmm. She's like calling the police. This is weird, yeah. I guess Nina tells her where Jack is, so she goes and sees him playing this real jazz. And I think I've already pointed out the look and feel of these basement establishments. It's just like another time. I, th- I said like Bull Durham. Another one would be like the color of money. It's just like these places 
that existed in the 80s still that are just gone now. It's yeah, fun to visit them in movies. Yeah, for sure. You can't really see them anywhere else. She just waits for Jack to come back. She ends up staying over. There's a ton of awkwardness. The next morning... They hook up again. Yeah. The next morning, Jack is reminiscing about his and Frank's first gig at a place called Terry's Tap Room. Well, this time she was trying to slink out, right? She was pulling the move of I don't leaving. know. I'm not really sure what she was doing. Well, she left the room. But like, then she just cr- starts yeah, looking true. at stuff. Yeah, that's true. And that's what causes him to reminisce about the The little first girl gig. in there again. Yeah, to take the dog. Yeah. Right, yeah. So Jack says, the owner gave us that bottle but wouldn't open it. And Susie says, how come? And Jack says, he told us to save it. He said someday it would soften the edges of the bad times, make the good ones seem even better. Kind of a poignant line, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) She's trying to get a better understanding about who this guy is, what his relationship with Frank is like. She's looking at these pictures and... They've been brothers their whole lives. They've been playing piano together for 30 years, professionally for 15. I mean, I don't know. They're intertwined in this way, but she, I think she kind of understands that. She's putting a little Jack, salt in that recipe, kind of, you know. <laughs> well, no, she. I think she understands that Jack is kind of aspiring to be more than this lounge act. Yeah, well, I think she realizes that when she goes in season play in this other club. Yeah. Susie says she's thinking about leaving the act. She met a guy at the hotel over New Year's who wants her to sing cat food jingles. And Jack just tells her to take it. <laughs> right. Which I don't think was the reaction she was looking for no, no. out of that. Yeah, it does seem like she's wanting him to fight for her to stay. <laughs> it's a strange scene between two emotionally stunted adults. But what's, Is it all just because he's never going to show his hand? Is he just saying like take it because that's the wall that he puts up i think well or is there something to like oh you have a shot at doing something no you should, no not at all no they're both hurting each other and i think they can both tell that the other is hurting and yet neither will cave and admit their feelings he's upset that she would even consider leaving she's upset because he's not telling her to stay right and not admitting anything yeah at times it's hard for me to get a read on like what he cares about the band well no it's not that he cares about the band it's just that he knows that if she takes this and leaves the group it's over he's probably not gonna see her anymore and that's just kind of it and so after another soulless gig having to sing feelings a song she despises Susie does in fact quit the trio Susie and Jack fight in a cold abandoned parking lot in the middle of the night and it's actually electric we see real genuine emotion from Jack finally but now it's all too late. It's not, yeah, it's not great, though. I mean, no, I mean, it gets rough, but I mean, they're having a fight. I mean, people can have fights. Okay, that's fair. I don't think we have to be in such a PC world where you're not allowed to ever say mean things. No, no, I'm okay with that. It's just like, <laughs> I just feel like there is such a thing as like saying things and then not being able to come back from them. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> and it feels like maybe this wades into those waters a little bit a little bit a little bit Susie has a parting shot though where she kind of says jack is a sellout and that he is as much of a whore basically as she ever well that's true and she's right about that (laughs) he he is a fraud (laughs) now we're down to just frank and jack again and the post Susie gigs are real fucking bleak I mean, it just seems like it's almost like cranked up as to how embarrassing this could possibly be. Yeah, right. I guess maybe it's just because it's the start of the movie, but it just seems like it's gotten way sadder 
from where we were at the beginning of the movie even. <laughs> the worst, though, is the telephone thing. It's a total yeah, that's crazy. Like I can't even picture them doing this at like where they're at the start of the movie. Even I know. It, it seems like yeah, they're even right. lower than they were at yeah. the start now that Susie's left. How'd he get it back? We mentioned every, in basically every episode of this fucking show, like the passage of time is kind of hard to gauge. Right. I don't know. It seems like they've played a few gigs now without Susie, but I don't know. And then this telethon thing happens. It's a total embarrassment. It ends up being for a new gym. It's on Channel 71. Yeah. The host gets their name wrong, and then just when they start playing, they're interrupted. And Jack just has this total meltdown. Right, which is great. <laughs> yeah, he just flips out on that guy that's hosting it. Yeah. So they go outside, and it's a fight between the brothers now, and it seems like it's been a long time coming. And this is where we get the whole truth of it. This is actually the, of it. a great Frank moment, though. Yeah, because I, I feel he's like basically really... like, hey, I chose this like normal life. I settled down, but I've lived vicariously through your exploits, which I allow you to have because i take on all the responsibility right. and you can just do whatever you want yeah and he's like yeah you and have more talent yeah but you would just be playing out of a back of a truck for 10 cents right if it wasn't for me because you don't have the drive to do the right thing to actually take care of to yourself to set this of up this, yeah, yeah you're just you have the talent but you don't have anything else i'm sorry i should have checked it out i screwed up but that doesn't mean you walk out in the middle of a gig what it wasn't professional, Jack. What's happened to you? You've been kissing ass for so long, you're starting to like it? You let that guy turn us into clowns tonight. We were always small time. We were never clowns. What's happened to your dignity? Dignity? Who the hell are you to talk about dignity? Is this where you get your dignity, Jack, huh? Where you get your courage? Now let's do it straight for once. I want to explain something to you, little brother. See, there are people in this world who depend on me. I got a wife and two kids who expect to wake up every morning with food on the table and heat in the house. I got a mortgage. I got car payments. And oh, yeah, I got you, my little brother Jack, who's so hip, so cool, so fucking sure he's better than everyone else. Don't you think I'd like to walk up to one of these assholes and blow smoke in his face? You're goddamn right I would. But I can't. I have to be responsible, little brother. I have to make sure the numbers balance out in my favor at the end of each month so everyone else can go on living their lives. You don't win medals for it, but you can be damn sure you'd all take notice if I folded up shop. So don't talk to me about dignity, little brother. You're drawing on a weak hand. Oh, terrific. Walk away. You're good at that, Jack. You never could commit to anything, even a conversation. Oh, is that what that was? That felt like a speech to me. Next time, save it for the PTA. You just had to do it, didn't you, Jackie? Couldn't keep your cock in your pocket. Hey. Who I fuck and who I don't fuck is none of your fucking business. You got that? It is when it affects my business. Your business? Yes. Your business? Yes. Your business exists because of me. You! <laughs> I make the calendar, I pay the expenses. Christ, I even make sure your shoes are shined. What do you do? You show up for a couple hours a night and smoke cigarettes. Frank, if somebody requested chopsticks, you'd ask for the sheet music. If it wasn't for me, little brother, you'd be playing for dimes out of the back of a truck. Yeah, you're a real pro, Frank. 
You're doing such a bang-up job a few months ago, you had them paying us not to play. That's fucking genius. Yeah. Oh, what are you doing? Ah, what the fuck are you doing? It ends up getting physical. Jack almost breaks Frank's that fingers. That part is a little nuts. You're like, wow, he was really ready to kind of take this to a different level here. <laughs> In all fairness, he manages to stop himself True. and he just quits instead. Yeah. Then he goes to that diner and just a surprise reappearance of Jennifer Blanche. Tilly. <laughs> I wrote Monica Moran, but you remember her as Blanche. Right. <laughs> And it seems like she wants to fuck him. And it seems like he's mulling it over. Yeah. But he stops himself and it's yeah. just like, well, is he maturing all of a sudden? I think maybe we're seeing that. Yeah. And, you know, he's thinking maybe about Susie. He's thinking about a lot of things. And it's a different Jack from the opening scene. Should be pointed out, his picture, Frank's pic- picture, and Susie's picture all framed and on the wall in this diner. <laughs> As if they're like actual celebrities. Right. <laughs> So the end of the movie is basically Jack going on like a little bit of a making amends tour. First, he goes to see Frank and he does tell him that he's not coming back, but they're able to kind of bury the hatchet. They drink that bottle of whiskey. This is a strange fucking scene or whatever. So Frank is like, yeah, I'll give piano lessons to neighborhood kids. He's like, I'll I'll make just as much as I was doing. (laughs) Which seems like a stretch. Well, maybe at the end. (laughs) Well, I mean, it I seems guess like it, was, it would be hard to support a family. It's a different time. Yeah. I mean, things were just cheaper. I guess so. Yeah. I don't know. We, He's not living like a life of luxury. We see his house. It's just right. like a little Maybe house. Maybe he has some savings. Yeah. I don't know. Right. <laughs> Maybe his wife works too. Yeah. So he'll do that. And Jack will go ahead and pursue his dreams a little bit. Finally, they open and drink from that bottle of booze from their very first gig that they got. The one that, that Jack was talking about earlier. And they're kind of like looking at Frank's collection of shot glasses from all the different places they've played. And they tell, which this is st- extensive. Yeah. They tell this like, story, dude, Frank, you don't really have to keep all of these about a certain gig that they played back. I don't know, back in the day or whatever. And it was some girl's sweet 16 party. And it's like, first of all, these two playing a sweet 16 party seems yes, strange. Right. But then <laughs> yeah, what parents, <laughs> What 16-year-old girl is, like, so stoked to have these two dudes just playing piano? Does Jack admit to fucking a 16-year-old? It does seem like something. There he might says be something, something to strange, that. Yeah. and then they launch into that. They play You're 16, and it's kind of funny, the two of them just playing the piano. But, like... Well, yeah, even... I felt like even the song was uncomfortable for me. <laughs> well, yeah, it is an uncomfortable song. Right. That's the thing that you need to learn about American music there okay. over the years there have been lots of songs about 16 year old girls like some lines were crossed in years past oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean come on just read anything about jerry lee lewis right. but i don't know it's just kind of a strange thing because yeah it would ha- i think like jack is supposed to be if he's jeff bridges's age he's hovering around 39 40 i think they say this t- took place like 10 years before so he was probably about 30 and he okay. had sex with a 16 year old is that what they're saying different it, times i don't know i don't think they're gonna they never come, come out and r- say yeah it, i don't think they're gonna do that 
it's yeah. it's weird the implication because he said what I don't even remember exactly what he says, but he's like he he says some knowing line, and then they're kind of like winking at each other. It's like, I don't what? know. It's weird. <laughs> it's kind of like. I mean, I don't let like anything like obviously if people listen to the Gone Girl episode, they'll know that we're, we don't let anything bother us. But well, true. <laughs> and I don't let the, a line like this bother me. It is certainly not going to ruin a movie for me, but it is kind of a weird thing to think about at the end of this movie now. In well, even the way that the two kind of behave with about each it. other afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Like high fiving. Right. Let's play a song. <laughs> she was about sixteen this. going on twenty nine, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So finally Jack goes to see Susie. She's clearly not thrilled with her life at the moment. I mean, she seems to be making money, but it sucks. Like she has to sing about vegetables and all this dumb shit. Yeah, it's I wish they never really give you a glimpse into like what's going on <laughs> what that looks like yeah yeah like there's a lot of deleted scenes like. on the blu-ray yeah. too but nothing from this oh okay really i would have been interested to see like what her career post baker boys they did have a deleted scene like. with jeff bridges and the 16 year old though no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a real weird flashback <laughs> it didn't make the final <laughs> cut somehow yeah, I mean, Jack and Susie, it, it kind of ends in this fun way that movies sometimes end. It's, you know, maybe reminiscent of the breakups starring Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston where there's no reconciliation yet, but there's this little, like, hope for the future. Maybe there's more hope in I don't know. Yeah, Baker like, Boys like than, the, the, than tables, the breakup. But. The tables turn a little bit because now all of a sudden he's like, will I see you again? Yeah, but he and says she, the intuition line, which she said about getting the gig with them. Right? Yeah, it's like it's obviously like a callback to earlier in the movie, but I don't. Yeah, know. I mean, it, I think she likes that though. Yeah, I think so. I think there's hope for the future. It feels like it. I think we're ready for a sequel, which I think Jeff Bridges has talked about in recent years. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I think you could probably convince him to do a sequel to any of his early it seems movies. Like he it, yeah. thinks like it's a great idea. But yeah, I mean, I wish that there were more things like this now. Everything has to kind of be a much bigger deal, like a Marvel movie, a Star Wars movie, a big Disney blockbuster cartoon yeah. digital thing. Or this whatever. is just like the point that we make every show. But I mean, we're really out there fighting for these movies. I don't know. They they do occasionally come out with just regular like character movies, quiet movies, but they just never they always feel like they're trying to fish for an Oscar or something like those kind of things. It's never just kind of like, hey, here's a movie about. A couple brothers yeah. playing jazz. Something that feels like <laughs> real slice of life that yeah. like can the c- everyday man can kind of feel like, oh yeah, this feels like my life a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there was definitely a time where I was playing jazz in a bunch of bars. <laughs> well, in that's Seattle. A, well these, I, yeah, I mean these guys as far from celebrities as they are, still miles closer to it than anyone on this show or <laughs> anyone I've ever met. <laughs> I don't know. Did they ever have Eli Roth tweet about their podcast? That's a good point. You want to know what? Actually, <laughs> I take that back. We're on our way. <laughs> Hollywood. So get ready. I don't know. Final thoughts? How did you feel about the movie overall? I liked it. Mo- I, this I was had, your first time watching it front to back. Yeah, I had seen parts of it. On, weirdly enough, I feel like it's kind of been one of those movies that's been on the HBO like rotation I'm sure off and on over the years. And I can remember like trying to watch it years ago and feeling like it had kind of a very like dull look to it i don't know i was just like nominated for an oscar for best cinematography yeah i know i don't know i don't know it i I don't think it processes for people of a certain you have to be a certain age i think to even 
get right. on into the wavelength of this movie. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I just don't think I was there. I mean, this was in college when I tried to watch it, so I just feel like... Yeah, I think you need to be a little older yeah. to really tap into the sadness going on in this. <laughs> right. So, I don't know. Yeah, I was uh, certainly considerably more into it. and, and I love it. There's more viewings coming from me. I'm a huge fan of Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer. I could watch this movie every week, basically. Wow. I just... I just I don't need to pay super close attention to it. I just get into that vibe of it. You know, it's just yeah. it's, it's fun to have it on yeah. and just be there with these characters in this world. I love the look of it. Yeah. And the music is I'm not like a super big jazz fan or anything, but it's kind of just a fun Well, again, I easy do piano and I do just go soundtrack. back to like I love this like 80s feel with like in these cities and like the whole like sprawling setting. The movies that are filmed like that, I, I can just really kind of get into yeah and wonder boys certainly tapped into that for this area yeah for here. sure yeah and like in that movie the city is just such a part of it like going around to these different places yeah all right well once again thank you for listening to the greatest moments in the history of forever please follow the show on twitter at greatest pod subscribe on itunes we're very quickly approaching october <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Our biggest yes. month of the year. So horror fans get excited for that. We actually did a pretty good job this year of not doing really much horror content in between. So it's That's been true, a while yeah. since we've gone. I think that was a little more intentional because I think between... Our first greatest October and second, we were, we were hitting some horror movies in, in between. That's true. Well, you make some mistakes along the way right not that we can't do that whenever we want we can do whatever we want it's rough but, yeah you know but it's fun to save some stuff for right so it's been a long overdue i, I would thing think for us to get if back we to her consciously hold off i think there's like a good chance we could have done some of this stuff early on earlier on <laughs> that'll do it for this one and uh thank you for listening we'll see you next time oh what a girl eyes that twinkle and shine you're 16, you're beautiful, and you're mine. You're my baby, you're my pet. We fell in love on the night we met. You touched my hand, my heart went pop. And ooh, when we kissed, we could not stop. You walked out of my dreams, into my arms. Now you're my angel divine. You're 16, you're beautiful, and you're mine. You're 16, you're beautiful and you're mine You're 16, you're beautiful and you're mine Oh well, you're my baby, you're my pet We fell in love on the night we met You touched my hand, my heart went pop Ooh, when we kissed, we could not stop You walked out of my dreams, into my arms Now you're my angel divine You're 16, you're beautiful, and you're mine Well, you're 16, you're beautiful, and you're mine The local press seems to think we'd save everyone a lot of time and trouble if we 
just went out and shot ourselves.